Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. Before we get started with this special episode of Highest Aspirations, I want to take a moment to acknowledge the unprecedented impact the current COVID-19 situation is having on our schools and communities. It is heartbreaking that the widespread school closures, though understandable in the current health environment, will make it difficult for students to access the many services and relationships their schools provide. In the face of adversity, Mr. Rogers encouraged children to look for the helpers, the people who come to the aid of others in trying times. The ELL community is stronger together, and there are undoubtedly those among you who wish to help, just as there are those who would appreciate hearing from others. If you'd like to share what you are doing to help support students and their families during this time, or just share your own story, we'd love to hear from you. We'll share as many stories as we can on the Highest Aspirations podcast so we can support each other remotely until we can come together again. If you'd like to participate, go to bit.ly slash ELL helper. That's bit.ly slash capital E, capital L, capital L, capital H, E L P E R. And now on to our highly relevant topic of English language learners and online learning. Um, in my experience, the ENL teacher is sort of the anchor for the student in this choppy ocean of being in a new country and a, and a new environment. So as that anchor person, I think you've got to just give them some really um, straightforward information about what is going on and what could possibly be unfolding in the next few weeks. Um, I would say that now would be the time to find ways to connect with students in um, some kind of online way. So whether that is that you set up a Google Classroom or maybe you use WhatsApp and you start texting with students to just kind of get um, some line of communication open with your English learners so that they know what's happening and that they still have you as their anchor that they can kind of hold on to. Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. What affordances does online learning provide that traditional classes may not? How might online learning help English learners keep learning during long-term school closures like the ones we are seeing with the COVID-19 outbreak? What tech tools can teachers use to help support English learners while they are not able to come to school? We discuss these questions and much more with Dr. Gretchen Oliver and Dr. Karen Gregory of Clarkson University on this special edition of Highest Aspirations. Dr. Gretchen Oliver is the Assistant Director of TESOL Programs and an Assistant Professor in the Education Department at Clarkson University Capital Region Campus in Schenectady, New York. She has prior experience as a K-12 French teacher and taught English as a foreign language in Grenoble, France. Dr. Oliver's research focuses on teaching STEM to English learners, teacher education and professional development, and ESOL-focused leadership practices. Dr. Karen Gregory is the director of TESOL programs and an assistant professor in the education department at Clarkson University. She has prior experience as a K-12 Spanish teacher and ENL teacher. 
Dr. Gregory's research focuses on content instruction for English learners, teacher professional development, and whole school improvement. Let's get right to our conversation with Dr. Gretchen Oliver and Dr. Karen Gregory. Dr. Gretchen Oliver and Dr. Karen Gregory, thank you so much for joining us on Highest Aspirations. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's really good to have you, especially in these uh, challenging times that we're dealing with right now. I don't know when folks are listening to this podcast episode, but um, we really fast-tracked this one to get it out there as people are thinking about transitioning over to uh, online settings in light of the COVID-19 outbreak that's obviously affecting um, all of us. And you all are in a great position to talk about this because um, you have a fully online Master of Arts in teaching ESOL and a Certificate of Advanced Study at Clarkson University where you both um, teach. So let's start uh, by learning a little bit about those programs. Um, how do they come about and sort of what's been the reaction um, among students and how's it all evolving? So um, our program began in the summer of 2018, so we're really pretty new right now. And uh, the program was started on top of what was already um, an existing Master of Arts in Teaching program for teachers uh, looking to be secondary grade seven through 12 content area teachers. And the, um, the chairperson of our Department of Education here realized that there was a shortage of ENL teachers in New York State. Mm-hmm. and that a program could help to fill that shortage and that if it was an online program that we would have a greater a greater number of participants a greater number of teachers who could participate in the program and get their certification to fill all these um, teaching positions that were going unfilled or um, schools that were not in compliance with New York State regulations so um, I was hired in 2018 to start up the program um, knowing that it was going to be an online program, we sort of started writing curriculum before that. And I knew what I wanted the program to look like. I, I knew I wanted it to be really interactive. I wanted it to have the feel of a collaborative um, learning group, of a community of learners. So we worked with the instructional technology uh, department here at Clarkson University and they helped us to figure out which tools we would be able would need to use to create the kind of program we were talking about where that felt live and interactive and um, as I said collaborative and uh, so far so good it's been really great we started with four students and now we're in our second year and we have over 40 students in our two programs combined yeah so it's it it really has been the the uh, response has been huge in our area and also just across new york state um, mostly because there uh the positions are out there and the um, schools really need enl teachers right now sure yeah that's great i mean from four to 40 and a couple that that's amazing um but but if you think about what you mentioned which is this teacher shortage that we've talked about in the podcast before and how do we get qualified teachers into the field to do this work and then you think about where teachers are coming from sort of in their in in the track of their own lives that they're busy and they may not have time to to commit to um you know going somewhere to class and with the idea that you've created a program and you've been very deliberate about uh making it interactive collaborative and community based with with uh input from um, tech folks about tools, 
uh, it makes it quite appetizing. So I guess in some ways, I'm not surprised that it's grown um, that quickly. Um, and I'd love to kind of talk more about uh, this difference between traditional face-to-face settings, which you both have experience teaching face-to-face, right? Yes. Yeah. And then, so and one of the things you talked about when we talked last after the Nave conference was, um, you know, you've said that online teaching and learning provides many affordances that face-to-face um, teaching does not. And I've, I've sort of seen that in, in the work that I do, but I think that many people don't really understand that. So Gretchen, could you talk a little bit about how they apply specifically to preparing pre-service teachers to work with English learners? I want to make sure we don't lose that lens. Absolutely. So I think in general that online teaching levels the playing field in our classrooms. Um, I know from my own experience that in a traditional three-hour face-to-face class, those students who tend to dominate the discussions, um, that, that's what they do. They're not able to do that in our online classes. Sure. And at the same time, um, students who may sit quietly or might take more time to process things, they're invited to the table and to take part in the conversation. Um, I think in terms of, of online teaching and how we want to try to mirror some of those best practices that we want our, our K-12 teachers to be able to develop, um, the online setting really does provide that wait time, think time um, strategy that we, we know as EL educators is so important for students. Um, it also gives students really an opportunity to reflect before they submit. Um, they can go back and review things. There's a record, um, which yet again is a, a, a practice that can help our, our L's. Yeah, you know, the, what really just struck me is something that seems simple, but I think most teachers would agree that isn't. It's something that I have had to practice and am still practicing over time, and that's the idea of wait time. Uh, you, you can hear it from so many different experts or so many different classes that yes, you have to like wait and pause, but boy, it's a difficult thing to do. And in the online environment, you, you just don't have a choice. That's just part of the game. Absolutely. And you know, the other part of the online um, environment is that we know as EL educators, the importance of using multimodalities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're able in our online settings to include um, not just text, but also image and voice and video and graphics to make our learning engaging and to make the content comprehensible for all of our learners. Um, we also make a, an effort to make sure that that interaction piece is in place so that our students are able to discuss ideas with their peers, which will lead them to a, a real co-construction of new understandings and, and, and deeper understandings at that. So I think what Karen and I really have tried to do is thinking about what those best practices are that we want to develop in our teacher candidates, and we try to model that in our online platform. Yeah, so kind of backwards design, making sure that you're incorporating those things, that they have those things at the end. And you just mentioned a lot of different things, multimodalities, which are kind of built into the online learning uh, program, but it's done well. Um, the idea of co-construction, um, and of course, wait time and everything else. So, you know, if you build it the right way and it's designed intentionally um, with the goal in mind, you've just kind of made a point that um, that all of those things are kind of built in where they're not necessarily in the classroom environment. But I I, I do still hear people who say, you know, that 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 uh, online learning isn't effective. And there's certainly lots of people that say, hey, it just wasn't effective for me. It didn't work for me. It, maybe it didn't provide me adequate opportunities for interaction, which is also something that you mentioned. 
um, that, that your program does do, whether that be with teachers or with other students. Um, so Karen, I, I guess my question here to, to follow up is, you know, what, particularly when language is a key component, what, how do you go about providing the, that interaction? Um, and then the second part of that question um, that I think a lot of people worry about is how can teachers be sure that students are engaging with course content in the online environment? Well, what you just said, I think, is really important when you talked about the uh, about backward design. And that is something that we teach our pre-service teachers in our programs, and it's something that we use specifically for this purpose. So when uh, inter if interaction is one of our main goals, which it is, then we're going to plan for interaction really, really intentionally. And I think that's something that online um, education really it, it enables and helps us with, that we can be really intentional in the way we plan it out and the way we put it together, we, the way we put together what we call the modules, little units of study. Um, so it's not incidental as it might be in a classroom setting. We don't just kind of hope that students will participate. Right. It requires that students participate. And the way that learning management systems are set up we use Moodle, for example, but Blackboard would be this way, or even if you used Google Classroom for a K-12 teacher, you can see or hear or um, the, the student participation is right there. It's right in front of you. And our, our program is all asynchronous. So students are working at their own time, uh, doing the tasks that we ask them to do. And it's all right there for us to see. We can also go back and look through the data that um, the learning management system gives us, and we can look at how long students interacted with the content mm -hmm. and how often they are visiting our course site. So all of that really helps us to see who's participating and at what level, and we can check in with students and say, you know, um, I see that you haven't been on, haven't been in our course for a few days. Is everything okay or what's going on? So I think that the two, the two parts of it are that planning piece where we're really very intentional about creating interactive tasks and, um, and material for students, but then also um, the feedback piece, just making sure that we are constantly, as instructors, we're constantly present and we are also interacting with students to make sure that they're there and they're, they're with us. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that piece that you're constantly interacting and constantly looking at data and looking at feedback and looking at the work that students um, have produced. Because I think that there's a sense that if I'm a teacher in front of my class, maybe I have 25 students um, and I can sort of see what's going on, um, you know, in front of me. And that's kind of where I where I am able to pivot or figure out what I want to do. But that's also also happening very acutely and very quickly without a lot of time to process. Whereas in an online setting, um, you're really able to, and the students, I, I would say, are able to kind of slow down a little bit because you have the affordance of the data that you can look at, of the tools that you're using, um, and, and, and more. Is that fair to say? Yes, I would say 100%, 100% true. So we can, it, that, that time that we're given in an asynchronous online setting is really, really valuable. Um, students can, can go back and, and um, if they're doing something with voice recording, for example, they can do it a few times until they're happy with it. 
and then we can hear every single student. So in a classroom setting, it's sometimes difficult to get around to hear every single student, but online, it's just part of the design. It's the way you put it together and the way you use the tools. I think what's really important when we're talking about um, designing online learning experiences is that we really put the pedagogy first. We yeah. think about, yeah, about what we want to accomplish instructionally. And then we figure out, well, what tools will help me get there? How yeah. can I do this online? Yeah, one of my favorite quotes, and I might butcher it a little bit, but it was Noam Chomsky who said, uh, you know, the hammer, something about the hammer can be used. It's all depends on how you use it. It can be used to build a, a house or um, a torturer can use it to like bash someone's <laughs> skull or something like that. But the point being, and I just totally butchered that quote. So look it up, Noam Chomsky about technology, but it relates because, you know, you don't, you don't just say, oh, I'm going to use this tool. You say, I'm going to do this thing. And then you choose the tools that you're going to use you know, depending on what you want to accomplish. And that's a good transition to my next question, which is, um, and I want to kind of like now kind of steer this conversation into what we're dealing with currently with possible school closures um, and teachers maybe having to teach online, possibly for the first time in a K-12 environment. So what are some of the tools, you mentioned Moodle and Google Classroom and voice recording, um, but what are some of the tools that you use um, to ensure that you're covering all aspects of language education, maybe that's reading, writing, listening, and speaking. And how do you think other teachers, particularly those that may not have a whole lot of experience with this and maybe going to this, um, to this world, um, how could they use those tools in a, um, in a K-12 setting? So I think we need to keep in mind something that Karen just said, and that is really keeping your pedagogy at the forefront of your instructional decisions. Um, there's, no shortage of tools. And I'm sure that um, teachers who are listening right now will shake their head when I say I've gotten so many emails and Twitter blasts about everything that's available and try this and do that to stay connected with your students. But you really have to say to yourself, well, what is, what is the goal here? What am I trying to accomplish? And how do tools fit with my particular teaching style? Um, the other thing to keep in mind is that we are ELL specialists, um, and there are instructional designers and technological experts out there who know these tools inside and out and who know how to use them, and they will help you. Um, we, we use our instructional design team. Loretta is the, the best thing um, in the world. She has helped us so much identify those tools that will help us to not just um, promote communication in a presentational or interpretive mode, but also in an, in an interactive mode. So I would say, you know, talk to your, your tech support people and let them know what you're hoping to accomplish and then identify the tools after that. Um, so we use VoiceThread for all of our interactive lectures. Um, so we're able to put together some type of like a Google slideshow or PowerPoint and then uh, voice over it, include links, embed videos into it. And then our students um, can watch those videos and, and make comments and respond to us and respond to one another right in the actual presentation. Um, we also are moving into um, using tools such as Zoom and Google Hangout um, for all of our advising appointments that we're supposed to be doing right now to get ready for the summer and fall semesters. Um, 
We encourage our students when they're working together on um, different projects to use Google Slides and Google Docs. Um, for K-12 teachers who are using G Suite, Google Classroom certainly is another option, as is Schoology. So again, there, there are just so many tools out there, but I think it's just really important for teachers to keep in mind what their goals are and what they're trying to accomplish, and then move forward with the tools from there. Yeah, that's a, you brought up some really good points there. And I think I'm glad that you started where you did, which is to, to acknowledge that there are so many things out there and it's so easy to get overwhelmed. Um, and as someone who uh, in, the, in the last five years um, was in the technology innovation and education program at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, you know, I can definitely speak to the power of the instructional designer or the um, tech integrator or whoever it is at your school, whether it's formal or informal. In my school, I was a Spanish teacher, but people came to me for instructional design stuff because they knew that I liked it. But yeah, find that person because that person may not be a content expert like you are, but they're going to be able to, um, to point you to the right tools that you want to that you, that you can use to accomplish what you want to accomplish. You mentioned um, VoiceThread, which I'm familiar with as well. I know that a lot of our listeners and a lot of folks that Elevation works with um, uses Flipgrid, which is kind of similar in some ways um, as a way to sort of record um, uh, you know, students speaking and collaborate in that way. Uh, you mentioned the whole Google Suite, and I think that's important to mention because Google Slides can be used for so much more than just presentations. Um, it can be a collaborative tool where people are creating slides, um, you know, one slide at a time, and then somebody else is creating one, and you basically start a conversation that way. So um, a lot of tools out there, but I think, you know, I, I, I guess I'd ask if you'd agree with me that, you know, find the ones that work for you that accomplish a certain pedagogical goal and stick with them rather than trying new ones all the time. Does that, does that make sense? I couldn't agree more, Steve. Great. All right. Well, um, so those are some tools that folks hopefully can can begin to start using. They're they're relatively easy to use, um, and you know, obviously, uh, we're we're having this conversation as we mentioned at the beginning during during a pretty challenging time. Um, a lot of educational institutions are either either saying that okay, we're going to go fully online. That's happening a lot um, with universities, um, starting to happen as well with K twelve schools, or they're deciding what their next steps. Um, might be. So my next question is, I mean, it's a tough one because this is all happening very quickly, um, but given your roles and what you do, what advice would you give to educators who are currently working with English learners and may need to adapt to an online learning environment, either formally or informally, to help keep supporting these students who are really at risk of, of losing a lot of what they have learned over the, over the course of the year? So um, I would say what you were just talking about uh, in terms of looking for the person in your school or in your community that can help you with technology. I think that's a really key aspect and uh, just more broadly collaboration is going to be really key. I think sometimes people think of online learning as a really isolating experience that you're just mm -hmm. going to be alone in your home uh, giving out assignments and then getting them back but it really doesn't need to be like that. I think if you can kind of create your own community of practice around um, this online teaching um, experiment that everybody's about to be thrown into, maybe, um, that can really help you. So involving the people who know a lot about technology, involving other ENL teachers or other teachers that you have relationships with, and you're, you can all be sort of in it together. Now, in terms of students, I would say that 
my, my advice to teachers who are currently working with English learners would be that they need to start having these conversations with them about what could possibly happen and what this could look like. Um, in my experience, the ENL teacher is sort of the anchor for the student in this choppy ocean of being in a new country and a, and a new environment. Definitely. So as that anchor person, I think you've got to just give them some really um, straightforward information about what is going on and what could possibly be unfolding in the next few weeks. Um, I would say that now would be the time to find ways to connect with students in um, some kind of online way. So whether that is that you set up a Google Classroom or maybe you use WhatsApp and you start texting with students to just kind of get um, some line of communication open with your English learners so that they know what's happening and that they still have you as their anchor that they can kind of hold on to. Um, if, if people are going online, I would say that you want to try to make it as interactive and as live as you can make it. So um, you might want to think about using like Zoom or Google Hangouts, some kind of video conferencing so that your students can see your face and hear your voice and just kind of have that sense that even though this is kind of strange and different, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Some really, really good points there. Uh, I would, I would follow up with that, but I, I would advise folks to just kind of, uh, I guess there's no rewind button anymore, but go back, go back at 30 seconds and listen to that again, because you just brought some really, really good points. Um, and one of the things that you actually said was, you know, creating uh, community, which, which is critically important for, for online um, classes, because it sort of, you know, gets rid of that whole idea of isolation. Um, and I know you think you think it's critical and rightly so. So how and you mentioned a couple like tools, but when it comes to linguistically and culturally diverse students that we're often supporting, um, how would a teacher go about creating that kind of community beyond just kind of some of the tools um, and, and, you know, getting their face out there when they're dealing with lots of different languages and lots of different cultures? Well, so this is something that we do, I think, with our graduate students. We do have a very linguistically and culturally diverse group of students that we are teaching in our graduate program. Gretchen and I counted today, and we actually have 11 different countries represented in our um, graduate student group. That, so, that bodes well for the teacher pool moving forward. Lots of diversity. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting to us and, you know, lots of different languages being spoken. So um, we have we have all these different um, people from different backgrounds in our online classes together. And I think so one thing that we do is we try to make it very personal. We start every class with um, an introduction or we call it the icebreaker module where each student needs to introduce themselves and um, we ask them to include um, something from their outside life. So whether it be um, an, something they're interested in or something about family or pets or special talents or something apart from their professional pursuit as a, as a teacher so that everybody can get to know each other a little bit as human beings um, beyond just that they're graduate students in our class. And we do that, um, again, through VoiceThread where people can upload videos and they uh, are narrating their slides, so they put pictures of themselves. And I think that is a good way to start 
so that everybody gets to know each other a little bit. And I think one thing that we've heard a lot in our, from our graduate students is that they really know each other. We, we do some events where we bring everybody together, but I think just their interaction online and working on projects together and through those introductions, they really get to know each other as people and really respect one another. Now yeah. that means, oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that's so important. And, and, and I would say two things. One, I think it's even more important perhaps for K-12 students, some of whom are newcomers um, right. and already feel you know, uh, somewhat isolated and they're scared and they may be carrying some trauma with them, whatever the case may be. Um, and two, you know, we're talking about the affordances of online communities and online classes. This might fit into that affordance where a student in a class who, you know, maybe they're mixed in with sort of more traditional learners and they're, they're a newcomer or their, their language skills, um, you know, aren't quite there yet. It's really hard for them to express what they like to do in a class, even with a teacher who is skilled at working with them. But in an online environment, it may actually provide that extra time, um, the, the being able to do it one or two times to really uh, get, get the point across of who they are and what their interests are. And I think that can, can, can go a long way in establishing community. So there may even be an opportunity here. I totally think so. I mean, when you think of a sort of a typical class where you might have some English learners integrated in with the mainstream students, you sometimes those, um, they haven't heard, the, the other students haven't heard the English learners speak at all or speak very, very little. So to give them an opportunity to present, how we do it is present one slide with pictures and or video. And so to hear those students say their name and the way they say it, and um, the things that they like, the things that they do, I think it does present a great opportunity for um, English learners to show who they are to the rest of their classmates. Yeah. And it also, you know, it, 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 it sort of pleads the case for even, you know, when all this is over, hopefully sooner than later, and we're back in school, how do you blend, you know, how do you bring in an online environment in a, in a traditional, in a traditional face-to-face -face classroom and use some of those affordances? That's, that's a conversation for another time, whole other podcast episode, but I, but I think it's important to bring it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm about to ask you a question that I think I know the answer to, um, but, but I, but I, I want to ask it anyway, because I think it's important that we discuss it. Do you think your graduate students are uniquely positioned to help sort of lead the charge to a more online and blended learning environments for English learners? Um, Gretchen, I'll have you, I'll have you answer that question. I think I know what the answer is, but what, where I'm going here is like, how are they going to go about doing this? And are there opportunities now for them to, to sort of take a leadership role when this might be, you know, it's happening acutely now and maybe thinking about making this transition in the future? Yes, I would, I would agree that um, they are well positioned and not just to be um, comfortable with teaching online and using online teaching tools, but also, as you said, to be leaders in the field. Um, just as they're diverse in their home languages and home countries, our, our uh, teacher candidates are diverse in their life experiences. Because um, we have these folks who are seeking their initial certification with the master's degree program, we also have working with them um, teachers who are seeking a second certification and, and they're coming all together, learning from and with one another in the same um, environment. And so I think that just that in and of itself really um, helps them to be prepared to 
jump right into teaching and jump right into a leadership role. Um, we are really grounded in the idea of growth mindset. And I think that all of our um, teacher candidates come in with that, that growth mindset position and um, think about how they are going to continue in their professional learning once they even finish with us. Um, they, they come from different entry points and they really, I think because of the use of the, the technology, they become more comfortable with it. Um, we laugh because they, they come, some, sometimes they come in and they, they're very wary of it and they tell us they've, you know, never taken an online class or it's been so long since they've even been in school. And we see them grow and blossom into these confident, um, very capable um, teachers that are, are really ready to lead the charge. So um, we're really proud of them and, and we hope that our program truly is preparing them for what they're going to see in tomorrow's classrooms and beyond. Yeah. And if like I keep saying to people, you know, as we talk about this whole outbreak situation that, you know, the, the if any good comes out of this, it's that um, we're going to see online learning really be put to the test. Um, and in your specific case, we're going to see online learning for English learners really be put to the test. Um, and you have a group of students now who I assume some of whom are, um, are you know, well into this journey uh, who are going to be well positioned to, um, to, to both learn from this experience and work with our colleagues um, to, to make online learning even better, particularly for English learners. So that's, that's great. Um, you know, one thing that I want to get into, and this is, you can't avoid this conversation without, um, without getting into this. I want to make sure that we, that we do talk about it. Um, and that's the idea of equity. Um, you know, like many listeners, I'm sure, and like you all have been reading a lot about how English learners and traditionally marginalized um, students are going to be the most vulnerable in these situations um, in terms of if they go online, um, you know, what about uh, access to Wi-Fi or devices um, or if they have parents who work um, or, you know, if they rely on, on sort of meals at schools. I realize this is kind of out of your purview in terms of what you're doing with online learning, um, but I'd love to hear your reaction to that. And I, I don't think that we're going to solve the problem right now. But again, if we don't discuss it, I think we're kind of missing an opportunity. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. And I, um, I think it's a really, it's a difficult question because there is just so much that is done in our schools. Our schools are providing um, meals for students. They provide after-school childcare, health services in many schools. They really become the, the center, um, the, the center for, for families for many of the needs that they have. So what do we do if schools are no longer um, providing that, I, I think in one, in one aspect, it's going to expose weaknesses that are present in this system and mm -hmm. um, force people to think about these questions. And also, it'll really put a spotlight on the things that schools are doing currently that are so important and so meaningful in the lives of so many students, not just English learners, but, but all different students. Um, in terms of in terms of using online learning and um, and actually going online, I think that it's going to we're going to have to look at what schools can do for families that don't have access to Wi-Fi or computers or laptops or whatever technology 
might be necessary to be a student in the year 2020 and maybe um, find some creative creative ways of dealing with that. If um, families do have access to technology, then I think teachers need to ask themselves how they're using it and are they currently using technology to communicate with families? And if not, then that might be something they'd want to start so that you can get everybody kind of up to speed and, um, and participating in, in the, with whatever materials and resources they do have access to. Right. You know, I'll say, I'll recap two things that you said, because I think it's really well said. I, and I've seen this before. I've, I've heard lots of people say that it's going to expose weaknesses. And I think that's 100% true. Um, and it's going to expose some inequities and some problems that we need to solve. But what you also said is really beautiful and really true, that it's going to spotlight what schools are already doing. Um, and I just let, like people who are <laughs> who work with English learners tend to take an asset based approach, which I say in every single podcast episode I feel like that I do. But that's a really nice way to look at it because there's so much that schools are doing. And if we can see that and understand that and then figure out how can we how can we make those things um, live sort of outside the school walls to the extent possible, we're going to learn a lot from this whole thing. Yes, I agree completely. I. It, it bothers me so much when people are slamming schools because um, you just need to spend a full day in a school to see just the tremendous goodness and service that's being done in school communities by so many people, students, uh, teachers, all the support staff, everybody. There's, it's just such a community of uh, people doing good things for one another. And so when schools are closed, I think that's really going to be more evident than ever. Definitely. Definitely. And we've, we've hit on this next point um, and it's related to what we were just talking about, but uh, I'll go to you for this, Gretchen. Um, you know, one thing that, that I'm trying to keep front of mind during this whole thing that's happening um, is that while we're facing definitely a significant challenge right now, not only educators, but everyone, um, is that, that we're going to learn a tremendous amount from this experience because we're being forced, certain schools, certainly universities and K-12 schools as well, are, are being forced to sort of venture into this online learning territory in the face of adversity and something people never really expected to deal with. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm curious to, to hear what you think is going to be most important to sort of analyze and research um, about this experience as we move forward, particularly as it relates to English learners so that we can kind of improve. Um, I guess my, my, my general question is, how do you see this whole thing affecting the future of online learning, particularly as it relates to English learners? So I think that as teacher educators, we need to be forward thinking and keep in mind that what we're doing today um, needs to prepare teacher, teachers for today's classrooms, but for tomorrow's and even beyond that. And that might look differently. So we need to keep this open mind um, we can't predict the future, but we need to be open to anything and everything that the future might present to us. Um, and then really consider all of the ways that we can work together to respond. I think that's a, this is a theme that we've highlighted um, throughout our, our talk here. Um, I think that our team here at Clarkson really embodies that, that future ready, future oriented mindset and culture. Um, and we really try to support our teacher candidates to see that that they're better working together rather than in isolation. So I, I think that that's really a, a big takeaway from this whole thing. And, and I think it's something that um, 
is a part of online teaching that we need to, to keep in mind. Yeah. It'll be interesting to have this conversation again a year from now and see where, where we all go. I'll, I'll put you put you on the calendar for that. That'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you like it or not, you're on the calendar. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay. So last two questions. These are questions that I ask um, everyone, even though I could sit here and talk about this for the next three hours probably. Um, but I do uh, obviously want to be respectful of listeners time. So um, is there a book or resource that has influenced you both um, either personally or professionally that you'd like to share? Um, Karen, I'll have you go first on that one. Okay, sure. Um, I think you mentioned earlier the asset perspective that ENL teachers tend to have. And um, I think Ophelia Garcia's book, Educating Emergent Bilinguals, which I know is a favorite of lots of people, that's one that really stands out to me and has really was really influential for me. Um, I think the idea of, of what the label is that we're putting on students and how how changing that label and changing the way we identify kids um, can change the whole way a, a, everybody um, looks at that child. So um, instead of instead of English learner and emergent bilingual, I just that was a really interesting idea to me when I first came upon it, and it's still something I think that sticks with me and something that I think about all the time. Yeah, me too. And the whole alphabet soup game where you guys are, you know, in New York, it's ENL and other places, it's ELL, EL, ESL. I just, I'm a big fan of emergent bilingual as well. And those asset-based labels, um, it's just so hard to, to shift and figure out which one's going to work. But the whole message of uh, Ophelia Garcia's work is, is great. So I'm glad you've mentioned that one. Um, Gretchen, how about you? So there are a couple um, books that have been really influential for me. Um, the first one is English Language Learners and the New Standards developing language, content knowledge, and analytical practices in the classroom. Um, this is by Margaret um, Heritage, Aida Welke, and Robert Linquati. Um, I've done a couple of book studies with some local teachers around this book, and I think that the message that they send in this book that, that we need to um, hold our students to high expectations, but we also need to think about how we're gonna shift our pedagogy in ways that will support students so that they can develop their language, they can um, develop those con conceptual understandings and analytical practices and, you know, working together, we all can do this, we're all a part of it. So that book has been um, very influential in, in my thinking. And then an another resource is, um, comes from Rita McDonald and her team. Um, in the Wisconsin Center for Educational Research. Uh, there's a website, STEM for L's, and it's called Doing and Talking Math and Science, Strengthening Language, Strengthening Reasoning. Um, they really emphasize here that the importance of, of interaction and how we can support students in meaning making as they develop their language and their conceptual understandings. And I've done most of my research in the STEM fields. So this has just been really, really important for me. And I know that there's lots more books that you both wanted to mention. And so I will tell everyone that we will uh, put those on the show notes and on our blog post. And you'll find that at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community um, for the entire list. Um, but thank you for letting us know about those ones, a couple of which I was not familiar with. So I always appreciate um, hearing new ones. Um, and finally, uh, you know, this is... Um, People are going to want to sort of keep in touch and find out more about the work that you're doing uh, as as sort of things evolve with 
COVID-19 and online learning and school closures. So um, where can people go to find out more about the work you're doing? So I'm on Twitter at Gretchen P. Oliver. I'm at KMP Gregory on Twitter. And you can uh, look us both up at Clarkson University. There are faculty pages. So you can do a search and find us there as well. Perfect. Well, I will link to all of those things as well on the blog post and in the show notes. And I know that uh, many of our listeners are avid Twitter users and that's a great place to get information. So um, make sure that you uh, look both Gretchen and Karen up and follow them on Twitter. I'm sure that there'll be lots more to, uh, to learn about this whole situation then. Um, and with that, I, I just really want to want to give you both a special um, thank you because uh, I suppose listeners don't know this, but I'll let the cat out of the bag. This was a very like fast-tracked <laughs> episode of Highest Aspirations, given what everyone's dealing with right now. Um, and I just want to say so that everybody can hear that I really, really appreciate you both um, not only reaching out to me, but then making this happen so quickly um, in the face of what's going on. It really um, shows your commitment to not only um, the students that we all work with, but the teachers who are also sort of many of which are having a hard time um, transitioning over to this. And I think the information you provided um, will be helpful for folks along with um, some other information that, that I'm sure that they're going to seek as well. So thank you so much. We really appreciate the opportunity, Steve. It's been a real pleasure working with you. Yep. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is something that um, being advocates for online learning and of course advocates for English learners, both near and dear to our hearts. So we're really happy to spend some time talking about it. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.